My oldest boy was a little fella, maybe six, seven years old. He was learning to, he learned to read, and he was learning to put together letters to make words and words to make sentences. So we were working on the living room floor, putting together these little words, and I had to run to the stove for some reason. And I came back, and he said, Mommy, I made my first sentence. I thought, oh, it's so sweet. And I looked, and he'd written, Mom is fat. Swear to God, to this day, we laugh about his first sentence. You know, those of us who have this disease of overweight, I'm a normal size now, but believe me, 50 pounds ago I was not, and probably more than that, but um, this is a disease no matter what size you are. When you have it, it's not about your size. It's about the disease itself. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the disease of overweight before I talk about motivation. The reason is that When we see our overweight as personal failure or shame or guilt, are we motivated to do anything to change our behavior? Those things never. They mean, they might sustain us and give us willpower for about, oh, a week, maybe 10 days. But those kinds of feelings don't motivate us. In fact, when I used to feel really bad about my the way I looked and my size and feel like a failure and feel ashamed, what did I do? Eat. Of course. Anybody join me there? Show of hands. Absolutely. That is part of this disease. We have learned somehow in a complicated way, mentally, emotionally, even our physical bodies, we have learned that somehow food helps for a short little time. And our bodies begin to depend on that. Do you know, the part of the brain that cocaine addicts, we've done studies on cocaine addicts and done these little PET scans. And when you give them cocaine, there's a little part of their brain that just lights up. Guess what part of the brain lights up when people like you and me with this disease have sugar or fat? The exact same spot in the brain. There are many, many complicated reasons that people gain weight, keep it on, have trouble taking it off, take it off, put it back on. We all know the drill. We've been there and done that. There are so many medical reasons and hormonal reasons and medication reasons. I I outline this in a whole, I take a whole chapter in the book to talk about the fact that being overweight is a disease It is not about shame and guilt and personal failure. When we take that paradigm or that that way of thinking about our weight as a disease instead of personal shame, the disease becomes something we can manage, just the way we'd manage heart disease. Somebody comes in my office and I say, oh, Mr. Smith, uh, you've got heart failure. Does Mr. Smith say, oh, I'm such a failure? I'm so ashamed of myself I have heart disease. Of course not, right? Because heart disease we see truly in our culture as an illness or a disease. But Mr. Smith doesn't say, well, I've got the disease. I guess there's not much I can do. It's just too hard. No, he says, what can I do about it? How do I manage this disease 
so I can be as healthy as I can, live life to the fullest, be able to do the things I want to do. When you have heart failure or cancer, there are a whole lot of things you have to do and behaviors you have to change in order to manage that disease, right? So heart failure people, they've got to watch their salt and their fluids and they got to get weighed every day to make sure they're not retaining fluid. They've got to take their medication. They have to do a little bit of rehab and keep themselves as fit as they can. All kinds of things, behaviors that the person, Mr. Smith, with his heart disease, has to change to manage his disease. We accept that, don't we, as a culture? But we don't accept and think of overweight in the same way. And I'm here tonight to say we must do that. Because not only because shame and failure and guilt, when we see our weight that way, not only is it demotivating and demoralizing and discouraging and it doesn't work, but we also, in terms of our ability to sustain weight loss when we take it, when we, when we have weight loss, our ability to do that is so dependent on changed behaviors, what I call self-management. The disease is never cured. Heart disease is never cured. Cancer is not ever really truly cured. Everybody worries it's coming back. Not cured, but managed. And that's what I like to talk about is I'm not going on a diet. I'm changing my behavior. I don't need to tell you that. You've changed hundreds of behaviors already in your life and in your journey with this disease. So when we see the illness, when we see overweight as an illness or as a disease, our next question is, okay, how do I manage it? What does it take? What do I have to change to manage disease? And uh, I'd like to talk about three ways that we can keep the motivation going to manage the disease. You all know so many management things about this disease. We all know what we have to do or we need to do to change behaviors around food, around emotions, around exercise and activity. We, we could write, all of us could write a book about that, right? But how do we keep the motivation going to sustain those behavior changes, to make them in the first place and then to keep them going years and years and years? Um, I've had all of my weight gone for, I'm going to say, seven years but it's still the same work every day. Got to keep on with those behaviors. So how do we motivate ourselves? And I'd like to talk about three ways that are very, very helpful in motivation. The first one is do not catastrophize. Rather, learn from your so-called mistakes. Catastrophizing is... Oh, I've, I've just done everything wrong. I've made bad decisions for days. I've eaten everything I wanted, when I wanted, for whatever reason. And I've gained five pounds, and what the heck? I just can't do this. That is catastrophizing. Anybody done that? Show of hands? Absolutely. Yeah, right? When we catastrophize, we're actually letting ourselves off the hook and saying, ah, can't do it. Can't be bothered. More shame, more failure, more guilt more sense of less self-worth. Unfortunately, this is a disease. If your heart failure got worse, would you think, oh, I'm such an unworthy person? Never. Right? Same with this disease. You can't think that way. Um, 
catastrophizing goes something like this. I was shopping for Christmas dinner. So it's a big grocery shop. And for whatever reason, I went down an aisle that I know not to go down. And as I was heading to the checkout through that aisle, I bought a box of cookies. And on the way home from the grocery store, I ate the whole entire box of cookies. People done that? I, it's, mm-hmm. it's terrible. You know, I felt wow. sick. I kind of felt sick, but I, it, it's like I couldn't stop myself. I could easily have catastrophized because I made a commitment to the people at work that this Christmas I'm not having any goodies, the chocolates and the cookies and the nuts and, you know, the stuff that comes out at Christmas because our office, we get tons of it. It's, no, no, this year I'm not doing it because if I start, I won't be able to stop. So I ate this big box of cookies and uh, I, I could have catastrophized and said, oh, I've blown it all now. I might as well just eat all the nuts and the chocolates that the kids have brought home. But I have learned, and I hope I can do this every time, although none of us are perfect. I have learned to take those mistakes and learn from them. Embrace your, quote, bad decisions and learn from them. How am I going to change next time? What will I do differently so I won't buy a whole box of cookies and eat them? What will I change? Don't go down that aisle. Don't go down that aisle. Or you're like the American military. You get in and you get out. If you got to go down there, get in and get out. Right? I know that, but I didn't do it. But there are strategies and things to learn. We all know not to shop hungry. Go down that aisle. If you have to, in and out. If you don't, don't go there. Say something to yourself before you go in the grocery store. Okay. It'll do the groceries. going to stick to the list, and that's it. So many things to be learned from messing up. Uh, if I go into a uh, pay for gas at a garage after, there's always chips sitting there. Right? And I love Diet Coke and chips. So how do I, what have I learned from going in there and buying those chips and coming out and eating them and thinking, oh, I blew it. Pay at the pump. Yeah. Right? Rather than catastrophizing and getting all worked up and quitting, giving up on myself, learn from the mistake. Embrace bad choices. They are the chance to learn and change behavior. And behavior change is what this is all about. The pounds will follow. The second motivator that I I find continues to be really important to me is rewards. Setting ourselves immediate rewards, a reward that you can see and feel and hear and watch accumulate. And it must be immediate. So to have a reward like, if I lose 10 pounds this winter, I'm going to, I don't know, get a new pair of shoes in the spring. That's too far away and it's too kind of vague. My reward system goes something like this. Every time I make a good decision, like I get in the kitchen, I get a cup of tea, and I get out. No snacks. Put a button or a bead or a marble in a little glass bowl on the countertop and watch them grow. I used to do, uh, to, to wean myself off of Tim Hortons and Starbucks, I put a can in the car, and every time I would go into one of those 
fast food places and get the coffee and get in and get out and not buy the ooey gooey thing that I really like, I put a coin in the, in the metal bucket in the car. I can see it. I can feel it. I can watch it grow. And it's an immediate reward. Our brains need that kind of childish kindergarten gold star on the fridge, on the calendar. Our brains actually need that. Let me tell you why. You know when a kid is learning to print in grade one and they're making their letters carefully and they're staying on the lines and they're doing a beautiful job. If the teacher came along and went, that was not good. How often do you think that child would print neatly and stay on the lines? Not very often. And when you say no to the bag of chips or the box of chocolates, your brain thinks that's punishment, right? Because we've always seen food as a reward. That's part of this illness. So when you say no to a food or to a portion size, your brain thinks that's punishment, right? And it's not very reinforcing. In order to rewire the circuits in the brain, and they can be rewired, I don't care if you're 80 years old, the brain can be rewired. One of the ways we do that is to redo our reward system. So when I, when I do something that my brain is interpreting as punishment, I reward myself instead. Do that often enough and it becomes a habit. And there are many, many little reward systems. Find one that you can use for yourself. I really coach people to have a clear glass bowl on the kitchen counter and use buttons or beads or marbles or something, little coins, whatever, or a calendar on the fridge with stars on it or a bucket in the car for coins, whatever it takes. But it has to be something where you immediately reward yourself or the brain doesn't get the message. If the kid gets the gold star at the end of his printing line and he gets it right away, what is the teacher reinforced? Neat printing. And it's been an immediate reward, and that child will repeat that behavior. Treat your brain like a child. We have to rewire, and we do that by instituting a reward system. <coughs> Who has a reward, an immediate reward system already? You're working towards something? Yeah. What I really hope that you will do tonight is think about a reward system. And if you've got a piece of paper and a pen, jot down some ideas and start the reward system tomorrow. And reward yourself for good behaviors. Good behaviors. Good choices. You drive past the drive through Get a reward. You take half a portion of meat instead of the whole burger that you wanted. Marble in the jar, right? And build that up. But I don't care what you do when the jar gets full. My girlfriend, uh, she's a family doctor too. She um, really, really worked hard last winter on exercise and food and every good decision, bing, 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 into her bowl. When the bowl was overflowing, I said, I'll take you for a spa day. And we did a little, you know, but those immediate rewards are actually about brain retraining, nerves rewiring. And it sounds crazy and ridiculous, but it matters. It's the way our brains work. So take some time tonight to write down what you think would work for you for a, an immediate reward system.
and then bring it back next time to your meeting. Share your ideas, how you did with them, um, and reward yourself for good behavior. This isn't about the pounds because when you start changing behaviors and you're motivated to keep on, the pounds will follow. And the third thing is to set yourself a challenge. So first of all, seeing this as a disease to be managed through self-management or behavior change so that we're not coming from a place of failure and guilt. Those don't motivate. In fact, they demotivate. Once we see that and catch a vision for that, motivation comes from embracing our wrong decisions, our mistakes, our mess-ups, learning from them. Motivation comes from those short-term rewards. And finally, motivation comes from meeting a challenge. In the fitness world, I have a friend who actually rowed in a, you know, one of those women's eight boats in the Olympics. And she was only motivated to train when there was a competition at the end. There was a challenge. It's very, very hard even for an Olympic athlete to train when there's no upcoming competition. Isn't that interesting? We see them as such disciplined people, so talented. But if there's no challenge, yeah, their motivation isn't so great. So I also really recommend the short-term challenge. And your challenge might be, this week, I'm not going into Tim Hortons. And every time I, I want to go, I just say, no, this week, that's my challenge. And you will be surprised how that changes your behavior. Maybe your short-term challenge is uh, um, every time we get a cup of coffee, does, everybody, does anybody really like a little treat with their coffee? That's one of my bad twins. I, I really... So every time I have a coffee, I'm going to walk away from the treat. That's my challenge this week. Think of one thing that you can set as a challenge to yourself. It might be an exercise challenge. Um, it might be, uh, you know, well, usually when I sit in front of the TV, I get myself popcorn. This week I'm going to drink warm water or whatever you choose. A change in behavior that you set up as your own challenge. This month I'm doing a really fun challenge. Um, I'm trying to live on $25 worth of groceries per week and still get all my fruits and vegetables, and still get protein and milk and the whole nine yards. My husband, I could not coax him to join me in this challenge. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, and it has been a huge challenge. Did you know there are 10 ways to cook white beans? Yeah, because when you work in Zurich, you get lots of white beans. And when living on $25 worth of groceries a week has been a big, big challenge. But I thought I can do this because I see so many people who talk to me and they say, but I can't get six or eight or nine fruits and vegetables a day. It's too expensive. And I wanted to explore that. And I wanted to see how low can you go and still get the fruits and vegetables. And it's a challenge. No kidding. I'm not quite done. It was for the whole month of January that I've been doing this little self-challenge. I am amazed at how often... Somebody will say, oh, we had cake at the office today with staff meeting. Somebody brought cake. And they said, well, you can have that. You don't have to buy it. I said, no, it's not in my budget. I'm not eating it. And it was 
I was actually rising to the challenge. It wasn't about, oh, I love cake and I really can't have it. No, not in my budget because it was part of this self-challenge. So uh, two little things for homework for you tonight. One is to develop your own immediate reward system. And the other is to think of a very short-term challenge that will change your behavior. When you uh, come back together next time around, I think it would be really helpful to kind of share and pool your ideas um, because this kind of accountability with one another is huge. The National Weight Control Registry is a registry in the states of people who've lost 50 pounds or more, kept it off 10 years or more. We call them successful losers. And they are polled every year to their survey to find out, how do you do it? How do you do it? Many, many, many of those individuals work in groups. We absolutely know that that peer support is uh, essential. So hopefully these have been some ideas that will be motivating to you. And uh, I'd be uh, delighted to come back sometime and talk about other things and uh, to take questions.